Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Believe in Everything Auburn is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit, but you have to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive the rewards. That's B-L-E-A-V, BetOnline, where the game starts. War Eagle, everybody. Welcome back to Believe in Everything Auburn with Jason Campbell and Taylor Davis as we try to find the balance between reporting the facts and still being optimistic. That's basically the nature of our show this season, and we are doing our best to find that balance, but the facts are the facts. And so we are here to break down what happened this past week as the Tigers went down to Athens and came home with another loss. And they gear up to head to Oxford, where the lane train is also rolling. So no rest for the weary. It doesn't get any easier. Well, there's rest after Oxford because we do get a bye week. But nonetheless, Jay and I are here to break it all down for you, what little bit there is to break down. And I think it's probably good if we talk some other games, some other teams, maybe the the SEC in general right now. And Please. Yeah, not... <laughs> Not beat a dead horse, if you will. So we're glad that you've joined us, everybody. We know it's been a tough season, but hopefully Jay and I can uh, help provide some perspective for you and uh, get you going through the fall. Because ultimately, even outside of of Auburn, there's been some fun games this year. And honestly, I feel like it's been mixed up a little bit more this year than in past seasons. Yes, it has. And uh, first of all, War Eagle to everybody. Um, like I said, this is tough episodes that we were having to do back-to-back weeks where Auburn <laughs> has had a tough loss. And this yeah. one was even tougher because the score was just, you know, let's just call it what it is. It was bad. A beating. So, yeah. yeah, it was bad. But overall, from a college football standpoint, it was a fun weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was watching the Alabama Texas A&M game. And for a coach that gets paid $10 million a year and supposed to be an offensive guy, is that the best Let's play go. that you can draw up, draw Let's up go. On, on the two-yard line? I'm just like, what? I'd rather you run number six who have been Agreed. running the ball really well Agreed. all than to take that play and try to run a guy into the end zone two yards and they come back towards the pylon. I'm just like, come on, Jimbo. You get paid way too much money. I like, just run, run number six. I was just yeah. like, if that's the best play you can come up with, I just don't understand uh, some of these coaching decisions over the weekend. So many teams going for it on fourth downs and when they shouldn't have to like play the field position, take the points. People act like three points doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And even in the fourth quarter, you wish you had that three. So this has been, and that's in college and NFL all weekend. Yeah. I watch these games. I'm just like, what are they doing? Uh, you know, just take the points, but yeah. Analytics is going to get some guys fired. Everyone is leaning far too much on it this year. All right. And it's going to get some people fired. Agreed. Uh, you know, I just don't understand. Like, if you watch the Raiders and Chiefs game, 
Yeah, it's 29 to 30. First of all, the Chiefs shouldn't have went for two. If they go yeah. for one, they go for the extra point, they're up 31 to 23 with you're in late in the fourth quarter. Now you make Raiders have to score and go for two, but you go mm-hmm. for two, you don't get it. Now the Raiders, that's a gift to you. You go yeah. and score and then you get down there <laughs> and then you go for two. And I'm just like, they just gave you a gift. And yeah. now you go for two and then you don't get it and you end up losing 20, 30 to 29. I'm just like, you could have took the game in the overtime where the pressure's yeah. on the Chiefs. You're in their backyard. So, so true. So we'll talk about that, and then we'll talk about the fake punt that Auburn did when the game was 0-0. Zero to zero. And, you know, you're in the game. Like, when I saw the replay of it, yes, if we block it right, it's out the gate. We pick up 15, 20 yards. But the problem is you take the chance of if you don't get it, you give Georgia a short field when you're – Which they capitalized playing. on. Right. Which their defense was playing pretty good. And – they all end up scoring and then they get a punt return down to like a 15 yard line. So they got two quick touchdowns as a matter just like that. And you just make the decision maybe to punt the ball. It's the same thing in the LSU game. If you punt the ball on fourth and 10, yeah. they don't get the ball at a short field and go down to score. So it's just things like that. I don't understand the analytics part of it or if coaches just reach in. I don't really know what's going on right now because it's happening in every level and it's kind of disturbing. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I feel like the Texas A&M situation, like their quarterback obviously was incredibly upset at the end of the game. And there, there've been videos of him walking around and and Jimbo consoling him and whatever he was crying and emotional. And I was like, kid, this ain't on you. That was a terrible play call. Terrible. I I mean, I, I didn't understand that in the slightest. And I mean, had that game been anywhere other than Tuscaloosa, Bama would have lost that game. I, I mean, that was that was one of the worst Alabama games I have seen in a long time. That was it was sloppy. And obviously, I think what you're seeing is this offense is Bryce Young. I, I mean, I think that they're the guy that has stepped in is affording them the opportunity to cut a lot of handoffs, a lot of, you know, whatever. He's a bigger body guy. But teams and you see it across the board. I think Oklahoma's dealing with it a little bit too after they lost their guy. Offense is an identity is becoming the quarterback in a lot of these situations. And I think when you've got a guy like that and and you lose him, which is inevitable in the game of football, you're going to lose somebody. And if it happens to be that guy that everything is built around, you really have a better understanding of, of what your team is. And I think that Alabama it's exploited them a little bit of, of their weak spots and how much they rely on Bryce to make things happen. So that was interesting to me, but Texas A&M gave that away with that play call. I thought it was terrible, but um, we are going to get into the Auburn game in just a minute. But since you brought up the Raiders chiefs, I got to ask you, because I actually saw that you (laughs) tweeted about it. These roughing the passer calls, man, are getting out of control and I saw that you tweeted and you were saying if this is how we were calling things when I was playing I may not have broken my collarbone and whatever you know I know that's an example what is your take on you know the way these are being called right now and how much it's impacting games oh it's it's impacting games a lot if you think about the Tampa Bay game like the call against you know (laughs) Grady Jarrett like that was that was terrible. Like so bad. all the thing he did was grab him and throw him to the ground. And what and, else are you supposed to do if you get to the quarterback? Right. That's uh, what like, like you wrap him football. up. You, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, not flag. And then in that situation, that's why these roughing the passers have to become reviewable. Just like you do college yeah. football when you review targeting calls, you're going to have to review the, the, the roughing the passer calls because it pretty much costs Atlanta an opportunity to go win the game. Mm-hmm. Like they was rolling, they came back from 20 to zero, whatever it was. So they had a chance to get the ball back with two minutes and 50 seconds to go and drive to win the game. And you clearly take that away off of just a routine play. So it should be reviewable. And then you look at the Raiders Chiefs game and I played for the Raiders, you know, but I also like the integrity of football. And mm. for me, it's taking away the integrity of football because they get a sack, a sack fumble recovery and the guy actually braces his left arm. I don't know what a 300 pound guy supposed to do like in the middle of trying to tackle someone, but I'm right. also trying to not put my weight on him. So I may fall awkward, which may tear his ACL and it could, and him trying to not land on the quarterback could tear another guy's ACL next to him because he may land right. into someone's leg. So we have got to fix this and all these calls need to be reviewed because it's too critical to the game because let it not happen late in the season this year and it cost someone a playoff game. Oh, gosh. You know, it's going to really, really blow the house over. So you're right. They got to understand this is I understand you want to protect the quarterbacks. It's a big investment. It's TV game, but you can't take the integrity of football away. And no, I, I think we are overcompensating for what has been happening thus far in the league surrounding concussion protocol. I don't think the calls on the field are the fix for it. I think it's internal and some of the concussion protocols, like we talked about, Tua should not have been back out in that game. That wasn't on the refs to call it roughing the passer and trying make defenses more scared of how hard they're hitting a quarterback. No, this is an internal issue. This is a team issue. This is a league issue to increase policy and protocol for handling concussions, monitoring concussions, so that we're not in those situations. You can't double back on how you're calling games and basically take away the nature of it. As it is, the targeting rule has some uh, wiggle room in it, and it's still kind of objective. I I know I, I think that there are so many calls that it is good that we are getting away from that, but there has to be there there's growing pains because how you're taught as a kid well nowadays it's being taught differently but this generation of athletes how they were taught to tackle is essentially having to be reworked now because of targeting and so for roughing the passer and how those guys are taught to get after them and wrap them up and don't give them an opportunity to get out especially guys like pat mahomes who you know can evade pressure so well what else are they supposed to do? And I think by calling that, it's almost like they're trying to make up for clearly where the league has lacked in some ways, but on the field isn't where the problem is. It's off the field. So, yeah. So, also, if you look at the, uh, if you saw the Miami game in the Jets this weekend, mm-hmm. so Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt in the first quarter early in the game. And he goes to the sideline. He passes all concussion protocols. And this was nowhere close to like tools when he got hurt against Buffalo right. where he got up and he was wobbling. And you can clearly say like, okay, his whole balance He's, is off. Yeah. So that's why he got to pull him for the rest of the game because that was just not a good evidence at all. Yeah. But Teddy Bridgewater, it wasn't like that. And he went to the side, he passed all his protocols and everything. And they did not put him back in the game for the rest of the game. And it could have cost the Dolphins the opportunity to win that game. Right. And Teddy said he was fine. But what happened? Sometimes you overcompensate for a mistake that yep. someone else has had made, had already made before. And that's the situation where now Miami, if you even just look like you 
are just a little bit out of it, you're they're taking you out of the game because exactly they got lawsuits coming against them, and they got the NFL that's on top of them right now. The the NFLPA, the Players Association, yep. now they're on top of them, and they're trying to get to the bottom of it. someone has already taken the fall. They've already fired mm-hmm. one person because you know somebody's gonna take the hit. They have so, to. And I just feel like for college football athletes, I just don't believe in guys getting kicked out of the game for their first targeting. Because the game is so fast. And guys mm-hmm. can't move and twitch. And if an offensive guy drop his head, he doesn't get called for targeting and out of the game. They usually call it on the defense. On the end. defensive player. Yeah, totally. Just like, so if he drops his head and he doesn't know he's about to drop his head and he go to hit him low and he drops his right. head and they hit the head, what is he supposed to do? So that's exactly. the thing I'm just saying. You need to review those and say, hey, we can't call targeting on that because what else was he supposed to do? He went right. low, but then the offensive guy dropped his head. So mm-hmm. it got to get to a point where you say, oh, you get a first offense, you get a 15-yard penalty. Second offense, okay, we'll eject you from the game. So yeah. you have to give him some leeway because this is hard on defensive guys. And yeah. when I played football, defense was very, very pivotal. Now, if I play quarterback in today's game, you can throw for 4,500 yards and, and whatever now because – the pressures that defenses come on you, they can't bury you into the ground. They can't yeah. hit you like they used to hit you. They can't even get up in the face of the receivers like they used to after five yards. They can't mm-hmm. even be hugging and tugging on them. So the game has changed so much to be an offensive scoring game. That's why I respect defenses that can hold teams now because right. you're doing it at an elite level where it's super hard to play defense. Yeah, I totally agree. You're making it very challenging for them to stick with the fundamentals that are taught for so long. So I don't know. It, it's going to be another continued need for adjustment and kind of reworking. Um, but the league definitely seems like they're kind of overdoing it to seem like they're making up for what's already been done. Like, no, that doesn't fix what happened. And now you're going to create new issues. It's very strange. But speaking of issues, they are a plenty <laughs> down on the plains. Cause, um, yeah, guys, it's, it's hard. It's, uh, you and I come on here every week and we have to toe the line of, you know, staying optimistic, but also not having our head in the clouds. Like we have to call a spade a spade and discuss what's actually going on. And, um, I just don't see anything being done to stop the bleeding at Auburn. Really? I mean, I said last week, you know, it, the writing is on the wall in terms of this isn't going to be our year. This isn't going to be, you know, a, a chance for a title or a, a, college football playoff run but good can still be attained from it you don't want to look at a year as a waste or a thrown away season especially these players who only get a handful of them as it is and that's what's disheartening is I don't see any progress I don't see any proof of a plan and a step and for a coaching staff that has continued to push that there is a plan, but it's going to be a process and require patience and yada, yada. That's all fine and dandy, but we have to see some of it. And it doesn't look like there's even a blueprint for a way out of this. And yes, I think going into Athens and playing Georgia, who was fresh off a game that they felt like they needed to prove something is going to be a tough matchup. Are you freaking kidding me? Like I, anyone in that environment would have had a hard time, but a 42 to 10 loss. And again, the way in which we are losing penalties, turnovers, questionable coaching decisions. That's where you throw your hands up a little bit. So let's talk about it. Obviously. Um, I think it was 
one of probably the worst game for Robbie. Um, 30% completion percentage. He just could not get it going. And uh, again, the offensive line has really been abysmal. I mean, this is a very bad offensive line performance. Um, but Robbie also had a fumble. Um, he was 13 of 38 for 165 yards. Tank and Jarquez both combined for 39 yards. The ground game was basically non-existent. And again, penalties and like you alluded to, the fake punt on fourth down that put Georgia in great field position and and they were able to score. We'll get to the defense, but let's start offense because honestly, I don't know what they have and what they're working for and what they were trying to do. I, I mean, clearly the run game isn't working. The offensive line has struggled and you're up against one of the best defensive fronts in the nation. Your quarterback is unable to get anything going in the passing game. He's completing 30%. It, you don't have an answer on offense. That's the problem. Yeah, we don't have a foundation. And yeah. in this time, you don't have a foundation. You're just kind of like, you, you just feel like you're just in space. And you're lost. there's nothing you really can fall your head or hang your head on. And for one thing this team needs to do is stop talking. And what I mean by that is for back-to-back weeks, we've had a player to come out and say something about an opposing team to put bulletin board material. And I always say, worry about yourself. Worry less about what others are doing. Take care of the things you need to take care of and you'll be where you need to be when you need to be there. But we're coming out and we're saying we're going to demolish a defensive front that's been one of the elite defenses in the last five years that Kirby Smart has been at Georgia. <laughs> and you say, in we what keep world? Going, right. Why are you saying that? And, you know, for Georgia, they didn't even respond to it. They didn't respond to it to after the game. And the guy said, yeah, I thought it was very funny for them to say that. But it goes to show you that if they would have said something, it would have been something done to that player. Yep. So that's why they didn't respond to to things like that. And, you know, the week before, and we, we already know what happened the week before. So my whole thing is guys need to start focusing on Auburn, focusing on how they can get better, what they can do, because we come out, we play hard in the first quarter. If you look at the first quarter of our games, we're in every last one of them. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, the second quarter, it seems to be a huge tail off. And then after the, and then into the third quarter, we have a little bit of a sense of a response. But then towards the end of the third, going to the fourth, we had this another huge tell-off. So <laughs> those are the two most important quarters going into the half and then closing out games. Yep. And we're struggling at both. And when you look at this football team from a standpoint as a whole, yes, we don't have an offensive line from a standpoint to be strong enough where they need to be especially yeah. where I thought they would be this year based off all the guys that came back for a six yeah. year. And let's just be honest. This is not all on Harson. Like he didn't have a chance to recruit his guys. So a part of this offensive line was still from the old regime. And it's true. so that means we haven't been getting offensive line recruits for a minute now. And we got to find a way to dig deep and start getting guys in the trenches because that's where games are won is up front. You got to be able to protect the quarterback. You got to be able to open holes for the run game. Now, to their credit, sometimes they do do a good job of holding up front. But there's a clock in the quarterback's head where if he feel like he hadn't been getting time before, it's automatically his head that I'm not going to have time right. to set my feet on this throw. 
And that's as a quarterback, you have to understand, like, hey, don't look at every play the same. But I understand sometimes the clock speeds up a little faster when you're getting ran off your spot early in the game. And there right. are times in the game that, yes, Robbie probably could have stood in the pocket, had a little bit more pocket presence, and and kept his eyes downfield. And I would say the other thing for him to do is don't look to scramble so much to your right and to your left because now you cut the field in half. But if yeah. you can if you can scramble up in the pocket, now you keep the field open and you're able to see things like you did a little bit last week. But you're able to see more and you're able to run. Because on that run, if he doesn't hit his the ball on his thigh pad and he just tucks the ball high, he may score. And yeah. now you're talking about a 14-7 game in a 14-10 game early in the third quarter because Auburn created a turnover. So we've got to stop putting our defenses in situations where they're having to defend so much to the point they can't even get a chance to catch their breath. And that's where we're getting yeah. hurt defensively. We're getting worn down. And mm -hmm. offensively, we got to stop the mistakes and stop the turnovers. And that's what's hurting this team. It's been hurting this team since last year after we beat Ole Miss. Ever since we was up against Mississippi State 28-3 to and we lost that game, we have been unreeling the entire time offensively on protecting the ball and protecting our backs and our quarterbacks. So yeah. the bright spot to me was Jacquez Hunter, though. You know, the kid is outstanding. He's a tough runner. And, Taylor, I'm at the game. He scored the touchdown, the 67-yard completion off a three-yard completion. He takes it to the house. The next play, he's on kickoff, and he beats uh -huh. everybody down the field. Yeah. We need a lot of that. those guys. Yes. That's what'll help you start winning at Auburn. Agreed. Agreed. His effort has been so evident even through a lot of the downs that this season has entailed. But um yeah, I think for Robbie, it, it's interesting everything that you just said about, you know, things he needs to do are the same things we used to say about Bo. And so it feels oddly reminiscent. And I think what they have in common are a lack of trust in the offensive line. And they don't, their first instinct isn't to stay patient in the pocket. Their second instinct isn't to step up into the pocket. All they want to do is escape to the outside. And they both believe in their legs and their scrambling ability. And they feel like that's really the only shot. And then for Robbie, if he's getting into a situation, he was 13 of 38, clearly he's not clicking with his accuracy. That's all he could get himself to do. And I think it did put us in compromising situations, but I, I really don't even know what else you do take away from it. I agree with you. Jarquez has been fantastic and hopefully Robbie can continue to learn from this because we know he has athleticism and he has great ability, but um, you've, you've got to fine tune a lot better than that and make better decisions. I mean, you've got your receivers out there trying to catch just very like errant throws. I kind of said that last week, like he would have a big moment and seem to be good. And then the next year he's throwing at feed, he's throwing, a yard ahead and and that doesn't help your receivers get into a rhythm either so but defensively like you said they just got worn down man they're on the field so much I mean I, and I think that their their only hope really is to force three and outs they are a really bad red zone defense and I, I think that that was even showcased in this one they gave up 292 yards and six touchdowns on the ground 500 total yards, but 292 on the ground, which typically this in years past a, a run defense that has been very stout. And Georgia certainly found a way to kind of figure it out. Even Stetson Bennett 
a 64 yard touchdown run. Like you uh, talk about letting the air out. It it just, you're never going to be able um, to pull off a win or at least keep yourself in the game for your offense that is clearly struggling. Like they're just, their backs are against the wall and it feels like people are finding success in a variety of ways. 500 total yards for Georgia, 357 in the second half on 42 plays. Georgia was able to get 42 plays in the second half. I mean, you are just depleting this defense, but uh, you know, Colby Wooden had a good game. He had a sack. He forced the fumble and recovered the fumble. So if you want to talk about effort, I think you, you see it there for sure. But all in all, this was just, this was a poor game. It, It was a difficult showcase on both sides of the ball. I think, you understand that the defense is is worn down and being asked a lot of, but there's even execution errors too and and missed assignments and um, a lack of cohesion, which is not something that you typically see from an Auburn defense. Yeah, I was talking about the fake punt. Like I said, I don't have an issue with it if if <laughs> like I said if it's blocked correctly, it's out the gate. But the problem is, I just feel like it would have been so early in the game and you're still in the game. Like if it was 10 to zero and I'm just like, okay, guys, we got to have this because our offense right now is just sputtering and we need some type of spark. I can understand it. It's just at the time it was zero to zero and you're at the number two team in the country in their house and you're in the game into the second quarter. It's zero to zero. I just wouldn't take that chance. Because after that, like I said, it flipped momentum for them and it kind of derailed us. And then on the other flip side of it is when, um, yes, when we got the 14, when it was 14-0, we got the sack fumble and we was only able to go three and out and kick a field goal. That kind of derailed the defense because they're like, okay, we give you a short field and we still can't get seven on the board. So in their mind, they're like, man, our chance of winning this game has just gone really down. So you have to feed off momentum. Football is all about momentum and energy. And when you get a chance to flip the energy and the momentum, that's when you got to take advantage of it. That is something that I don't feel like this team has done very well is create energy when there's none. And honestly, at a lot of times this season, there have been none. I I mean, like they are giving up big plays. They are making poor decisions or, you know, risky decisions not working. And you do lose the energy. It lets the air out, like I said. But there are some players who have an ability to create energy when there is none. And I haven't seen that in a while. I think that we have pieces on this team that could be that. I think Derek Hall is certainly a guy who does, but you can only do so much as as one person and you can only do it so many times in a season. And it feels like game after game after game, these guys are being put in situations where they have to make shift, you know, success and progress instead of it you know, kind of being led for them, like having a blueprint, having a method, it doesn't feel like there is any of that. So how can you expect them to time after time cultivate something that doesn't exist and they haven't been given a blueprint for how to create it? So I I agree with you that not everything gets put on Harson, but everything connects to Harson. I think that there is plenty of, of fingers to be pointed in a variety of ways, but all of those fingers still point back to him. That is the responsibility of a head coach. You are overseeing everything, everything from recruiting to in-game decisions re- are a reflection of you. And I don't think that there is 
really much of a positive spot right now that is reflected of him. So that's where these conversations continue. And this Georgia game did nothing except fan the flames, which I do think we all kind of expected given the success that Georgia is having this year. You're, you're exactly right. Like It's true. You know. I think that, you know, we talk about the quarterback position and you say that if they succeed, they get too much of the credit. If they fail, they get too much of the blame. I think as the head coach, you get all of both because that is what you're there to do. And even responsibilities that are divvied out on your staff, you put them there. So if it falls on them, it still falls on you. And part of the head coaching thing is you're supposed to understand the personnel that you have. So when you look at the personnel that you have, you feel like, okay, I don't have all the things that I need. Let me figure out how to get the best that I can get from what I do have. And And it may not be your best friends. Right. It may not be exactly. And the whole thing is when you lose, we talked about this. When you lose, it needs to be in a way where it still looks promising. Yep. Right now we're losing and it's not looking promising. And no. that's the that's the thing that people can't hang their head on because like I said, if you lose a game and people be like, man, we're just we're we're a couple players away or we're just a couple things from just getting this thing turned and we're gonna be a really, really good solid football team. You right. can't say that right now because it doesn't look close. And it, it just seemed like everything is just kind of like like I said, in space right now. We don't have a foundation. So you know, and when you're the head coach, you get paid a lot of money and it comes a lot of money, comes a lot of expectations. And so, like I just talked about the coach that's leaving uh, Carolina Panthers, Matt Rule. Matt Rule's a heck of a college coach, but he goes to the pros. They give him a $70 million contract off rip and he's never made even no at sense. Level. And now they got to give him a $40 million check to go home. I'm just like, that's that's on the owners. You know what I'm saying? So just like 100%. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're giving out big contracts like this, you need to understand what kind of experience is the person I'm hiring to do this job? What do they have already? Like, I'm not paying high end if you haven't had experience at this level just yet. Like, I'm going to give you a contract, prove it, and then you'll get the rest of it type contracts. But this just handing out basically free money, you know, is, is going to end up hurting the school, end up hurting these some of these ownerships and pros because everyone's just reaching. Absolutely. I would just need to take a moment because I am a fan of both Auburn and the Carolina Panthers. And it feels like both went through very similar things. Honestly, like you, you're putting your eggs in a basket that hasn't been proven yet. Like I I didn't understand the Matt rule hire when it first happened. Like how, what here do you think is, is there to ride on to this level, the amount of money that Tepper put behind him and the control that they gave him, the way they handled Cam Newton, the way they handled drafts, how they sold the farm to get Sam Darnold. What has he proven? Like top to bottom, those decisions were just insane to me. And you see the results of, of an unclear leader in what Matt rule has done in Carolina. And I think what Brian Harson has done in Auburn, I actually just went on, um, a show this morning and I was asked, you know, about the Harson situation. And he said, you know, there seemed to be a lot of excitement when he came in. I said, I think it was excitement for something new. I don't think we really knew what it was though. I mean, Harson wasn't necessarily familiar to any of us and he certainly wasn't proven in this realm and I think some people were weary of the situation because of that you know he doesn't understand the SEC he certainly doesn't understand Auburn and boy has that been proven 
But there was excitement for something new. It had gotten very rinse and repeat with Gus, and everyone wanted the hope of some new potential. So that was the excitement. I don't think it was actually about the person. But we'll definitely get into those conversations as season continues, obviously. Jay and I are in the loop. We're aware that conversations are happening around, you know, Coach Harson and the decisions that seem to be pending. Whether or not they happen during the bye week next week is certainly a, a point of discussion out there. If they wait till the end of season is also a point of discussion. We are certainly aware and in the loop. And if and when that happens, uh, we'll make sure to give you our thoughts and everything that we do know. So my theme is hey, it's your job until it's not your job. Yeah, and also- exactly. We talk about what's in front of our face. And what's in front of our face is Oxford, (laughs) Mississippi. So let's go ahead and preview that game with the Rebs. So obviously Ole Miss is putting together a great season for themselves. They are currently undefeated, uh, and they certainly have some weapons led by none other than Lane Kiffin himself, the offensive guru who is no stranger to dialing up some really creative offensive plans. So our defense is certainly going to have to be ready, and they have a really capable one-two punch in their backfield in Quinshawn Judkins and Zach Evans, and they're led by quarterback Jackson Dart, who actually put together a 448-yard passing day against Vanderbilt. He's averaging over 35 points per game. He does have five interceptions on the year, so he has been a little turnover-prone, but they obviously air it out a lot, so not exactly a surprise. Their offensive line has done a great job and definitely has afforded them some great running lanes for that one-two punch in the backfield, as well as comfortable time in the pocket for Dart to kind of settle in and and put up the big passing yards that he has. Now, their defense is allowing 14 and a half points per game. They're 11th overall in the nation in team defense, so they're also playing lights out. This team has really put together a, a really solid unit. They're effective. They're energetic. But the thing for me with Ole Miss is who have they played? Uh, I think at this point of the season, six weeks in, their toughest test has been Kentucky. And that one came down to the wire. Obviously, Kentucky losing Will Levis was a big blow for them, but it, it really came down to it. They have beaten Vanderbilt, Troy, Tulsa, Central Arkansas. Georgia Tech, before Georgia Tech fired Jeff Collins, because ever since they fired their head coach and an interim has stepped in, they have won two games, which makes you think. Just saying. Downplaying the matchup? I'm not downplaying the matchup. I'm just curious what Ole Miss will look like when really contested. But is Auburn capable of contesting them? I don't know. It depends how fired up we are. It depends how how rested our defense feels. And at this point of the season, I don't know that we're capable of it. I don't know that we become a tougher contest than, you know, Georgia Tech or Vanderbilt at this point of the season, which sucks to say as an Auburn fan, but it's true. But I do think if you're looking for a point of weakness in Ole Miss, it's their schedule so far. I, I did watch the Ole Miss-Kentucky game. Let's be honest, Kentucky was really good at that time. Uh, mm-hmm. We understand that South Carolina just beat him this past week, but they was without their quarterback. And, you know, he's projected a first-round pick. So, you know, that that's that's a lot to lose in a game. But the thing I, I just think with this football team is Ole Miss defense is playing a whole lot better than they have in the past. And like you said, a lot of that has to do with who they play. We'll see how they play against Auburn. Um, I expect Auburn to bounce back in a way after losing a rival game. You lost two national TV games. You know, the LSU game came down to the wire. 
So you didn't actually lose the respect, but then LSU got their butts blowed out this week against Tennessee. So then it makes us look at like, darn, how bad is, is LSU right so now? So you got that aspect going on. And then you got this aspect going on of where, okay, now you got a team that's playing, you know, Auburn that went to Georgia last week and got embarrassed nationally. And I always say everybody can like you when things are going good. But mm-hmm. and you can get along with everybody when things are going good. But can you find the urge and the desire to go out there when things have been going your way and find a way to pull together and fight on the road? Because this is our second road test. We, we yeah, we didn't pass the first one. Can we pass this? Can we pass the second one? And yeah. it's going to be 11 a.m. game. So it's going to be early. So you got to get your mindset ready to go out and play early. Right. And I think you challenge them up front. I just wish we would get out of the man blocking schemes on that run game and do more of a zone blocking scheme. Because it yep. seems like that's that works better with offensive linemen that are struggling to win their one-on-one battles. If you put them in the zone blocking scheme, now mm-hmm. you just pick up who's ever in your zone. And right. you're not worried about just having to tussle with one guy at the line of scrimmage. And I think that will help open up some holes for our running and passing game. And get Robbie out. If he likes to get outside the pocket, get him on some bootleg. No. Get him on some yeah. Get him out there where he's comfortable early in the game and mm-hmm. hit some short passes. But I just still feel like for this team, though, to take a step in some way of direction before they go into a bye week, you have got to go to Ole Miss this weekend and show some form of resilience. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think that the red zone defense is also going to be a pivotal piece. Kind of like I mentioned, Auburn is 12th in the SEC and 96th nationally in red zone defense. Opponents having scored on 87.5% of their trips inside Auburn's 20-yard line. So if you let Ole Miss get downfield, which clearly they are good at, red zone defense has to perform a hell of a lot better than they have been this season. It's almost dang near a guarantee that if you can drive downfield and get in the red zone, you can likely get in the end zone, which that should not be the case against this Auburn defense. But nonetheless, you're right. I I think this team has to come in fired up. They have to feel like there's still something to play for. And I think that that has to be created within that locker room. And uh, it has to be player led. It has to be about the team and it has to be about Auburn. I don't think that it's about the staff. I don't think it's about proving people wrong. I don't think it's about Ole Miss. I think it's about the guy lined up next to you. I think it's about the guys that have come before you and and the ones that'll come after you. There's there's still a lot that you want to put a good product out on the field for. Was there a year that you can kind of relate this year to just in terms of kind of having to band together, uh, you know, internally as a team? You know, we was never this bad, though. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> let's make that uh, we clear. Went, yeah, yeah, let's make that clear. Uh, we went eight and five our uh, junior year. And mm-hmm. it was kind of preseason ranked to finish, you know, top two in the nation. And based off who we all had coming back, you know, I see why. But from a standpoint, when you lost the offensive coordinator, people don't realize how important it is to have – you can't just plug in coordinators. And just right. say, hey, this guy can do it because he has a title. It doesn't matter. Like, you have to have someone that knows how to utilize talent and knows how to get the best of the talent and know how to put it all together. And Petrino, yeah. our sophomore year, did a really good job of that. We lost three plays our sophomore year that could have had us 11 and one team rather than a nine and 14. Man. You know, we could have been 12 and one, I mean, but there's only. We, we, 
Let me see. Well, we got a field goal. We kicked somebody in the back of the head at Florida on the five-yard line. <laughs> then we should have won. The Georgia game, we fall down the back of the end zone on fourth and 15 yeah. for Georgia. And then we lost the, the USC game. We had a drop pass going into the end zone. So if you take away those three plays, we're 12-1 and one in 2002. But, right. but Petrino leaves, and so the chaos starts in late 2003. And we ended up being 8-5, and five, but we finished the season winning those last two games. And we built off of that. And Coach Tuberville at the time went and made some changes and uh, and everything and, you know, put Al Borges as offense coordinator, but Pitt Hunall, who who's our OC, back at back at, at uh, O-line coach. Mm-hmm. So he was a heck of an O-line coach. And that's why I say not everybody's meant to be head coaches, not everybody's meant to be coordinators. But yeah. in his position, he did well. And we ended up winning 15 games straight um, after that debacle where, you know, everyone, they took a plane up to, you heard of the – what was it somewhere that Bobby Petrino was at and tried to get yeah. Bobby to come here. So, but we took it amongst our players. It wasn't for our coach, you know. Right. Um, it was just like, hey guys, we're in a position where how do we want to finish our career at Auburn? How do we want to send our seniors out? We were juniors at the mm-hmm. time, and we had some really good seniors that we wanted to send out on the right way. And yeah. We was able to send out our seniors, win our last two games. And that kind of fed over to our offseason. And it was about, okay, how do we want to finish and leave our legacy at Auburn? And it was less regardless of who the coach was. That's why I tell you, I went through four coordinators at Auburn. You know, if people don't realize how hard that is to play the quarterback position, go check out some of these NFL quarterbacks when they leave their teams that they've been successful at for so long, they got to learn a new offense. Then all of a sudden they act like they can't play football. And people are like, what's wrong with them? I'm like, okay, you know, like not everybody can adapt that quickly and do things. And I'm not yeah. too long. I'm just saying, like, if you would have put a lot of guys in my situation, they would not have been successful because they yeah. don't know how to adapt to situation. And I feel like this football team right now doesn't know how to adapt to certain changes. Nope. And it all started in the beginning. And, you know, when Gus was let go, there was so much rebellion from the players about who was coming in. Yeah. So that had to get nipped in the butt in the beginning. So was it a complete buy-in from the get-go? I don't know if it was a complete buy-in from the get-go. Good point. There was someone coming that wasn't familiar with the area, wasn't familiar with Auburn, wasn't familiar with the Southeastern Conference, and guys didn't really know that well. So they yeah. didn't know how to take the hire. So it's true. And now you're in, you're two years into this thing, and we're still in the same situation. And it's just like, okay, from a football standpoint, what are we, what direction are we going in? Right. And this team to me doesn't seem to know how to bounce back. And you, you had a Penn State game is close. All of a sudden, when the wheels fall off, not once, fell off again against Georgia, fell yeah. off again against LSU. And if they fall off again this week, we're not the team that knows how to bounce back. And sometimes, and a lot of that, like I said, yes, head coach has a lot to do with that 100%. Also, players need to take it on their own self. Look at Jacquez yeah. Hunter. He didn't quit last week. You know, Derrick Hall hadn't quit. Kobe Wooten hadn't quit. Yeah. You know, where are our other guys to say, hey, coaches don't line up between the lines. Yes, scheme schematically, they need to do it better from some point. But at the end of the day, I'm a college football player that now can get out there and play on a national TV. And right. I got a name on the back of my jersey that I need to represent just as well as Auburn. And yeah. I need to do that better. That is so, so true. I mean, there has to be a level of accountability when you're out there in terms of execution and discipline 
college football, you're not there to be spoon fed. I don't know what you know, misrepresentation we've created in this day and age of college football to where these players have to have everything laid out for them in order to succeed. No, a lot of guys throughout generations of of college football who created names for themselves, they did just that. They created a name for themselves. And it goes back to cultivating that energy and and playing for something that that is created within and that is on the individual to take accountability and feel like they have a responsibility for what they put on the field. It may not, you know, culminate in a team win. And yes, there are certainly aspects that a coach is going to be at fault for. And in this situation, they're there, but this is individual accountability. You have the ability to go out there and play well, play disciplined and, and showcase your talent out there, but it's, it's a want to, and it's, it's also feeling, um, you know, that kind of drive individually, even when everything around you is kind of lackluster. So I hope they can do it. I mean, it would be great to go into the bye week with a little bit of a spark and see what we can put together that later half of season. In 2003, we start off 0-2. Think about it. We're hmm. preseason number one or two, and you start off 0-2. And, and obviously, it couldn't get any worse. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, we play a Vanderbilt team, and we win, and we go to win five in a row. And then we end up, you know, losing a heartbreaking Ole Miss and everything. Right. But it's those type of things, though. We rebounded from a tough situation. Those tough situations is what created an undefeated season. Yeah. And what created us ending the season right in 2003. Had we just continued to sink and and not start to try to find some type, type of way to start swimming, then it could have unraveled completely. So yeah. I'm just putting saying, players, don't let this unravel completely. Salvage mm-hmm. what you can salvage. Don't worry about the things you can't control. Worry right. about what you can salvage. And I feel like that's that's what we're just not doing at this point. I completely agree. I think that's fantastic input. Well, along with our game against Ole Miss this weekend, there is yeah. a pretty big one, you could say. I just want to get your pick on it. The show that I was on this morning, we were talking about it. And obviously what Tennessee is putting together this year is incredible. My hat's off to Josh Heupel. I mean, you want to talk about immediate turnaround. He's in year two. I mean, I credit where credit is due. And I think he has done a fantastic job there. So it sets up for a really compelling matchup between two schools that hate each other. So Jay Cam, give me your pick. Do the Vols upset Man. the tide? Man. I've been going back and forth with this. Me too. Every day. I watched SEC Network this morning. I watched ESPN. I watched Fox Sports. I watched every sport thing this morning. Just trying to get people's input on this. And I'm struggling (laughs) with trying to figure out. I've had Tennessee with the upset. Me too. I think I may stick with the upset. My thing is, Alabama and big games just show up. They know how to do it. And that's the thing, like, you didn't have Bryce Young last week, and you found a way to beat a Texas A&M team that was hungry to come and get you because of all the off-season saga. Yeah. And you found a way to win that game. And now you go to Tennessee and Knoxville, and you know everyone is watching. You know Tennessee is going to come out. The reason I give Tennessee a chance is because of their quarterback. 
Hendon Hooker is fantastic. And people don't know his story when he was at Virginia Tech and and went through what they told him. He probably couldn't play and everything. And now he's at Tennessee and he's lighting it up. You know, it's all about, don't tell me coaching don't pay a big difference in kids' lives and matching the talent and everything. Thank because you. Coach Hyper went and got this kid, and he is maximizing this kid's opportunity. has turned ah. his career completely around. And that's the definition of a great of coach. Of a good coach. Yep. You know, he did. He had success at UCF. When they mm-hmm. played big teams, They had that's what propelled him and kid to get in the job at Tennessee. Oh, true. So – I just think he's going to have his team well-prepared, well-coached. Right now, he's one of my coaches of the year uh, up to this point. I feel like Tennessee know they need this game because they got Georgia coming up in a couple weeks, and that game could decide the East, and they can't afford to go into that one with a one loss. Um, right. Because if they find a way to win this one, even if they don't win the Georgia game, they still can win the East. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just feel like they, they got to find a way to just – Stick to what you do. Don't change what you do just because you get in big games. That's the biggest mistake that people make. They get in big games and they feel like I gotta in, invent the reinvent the wheel and yeah. get away from you. And that's why Bama beats team consistently because they stick to what they do and everybody else is trying to reinvent everything to beat them. So stick to what yep. you do, Tennessee, and you'll win this game. My heart wants to pick Tennessee and my brain is like, girl, it's Bama. Like they just, they find a way to do it. But I think I'm, I think I'm going to stick with my Tennessee pick just because I, I like to be bold, but um, I think it being in Knoxville is a big strike for them because that I have called a game there. It is one of the loudest stadiums to call a game. It is the biggest in the sec. At least it was the past couple years I know everyone's renovating these days so who knows but not only is it the biggest it holds well over a hundred thousand it is built up it is not laid out so it is built up and the sound just goes directly on you and look Alabama is a disciplined team don't get me wrong they'll have the cadence figured out and I expect Bryce to be back and be good to go so they'll have their veteran guy out there keeping everyone in in check but that environment can get hostile and it can get loud. And I think that with that added to the season that Tennessee is having and the comfortability that Hendon Hooker seems to have, especially at home, I want to go with the ball so bad. I really do. This is this is a really exciting matchup, I think. No, it is. It is. It's it's good for SEC. It's good that Tennessee's back. Yeah. We need, Let's get them. All right. Auburn got to get back to being good. You know, like we're a big, I know, we're a big part of SEC. SEC is just better when Florida, Tennessee, Georgia, Bama, Auburn, LSU, when all these teams are good. Like yeah. It, even Mississippi State and Ole Miss are really good right now. It's good yeah. for college football. And we need Tennessee to win this game to kind of open up the doors that everybody's seeing, like, all right, the the fields are starting to get leveled off a little bit. Yes, it's more than just Alabama. And Georgia. And Georgia now, but that only happened in the past, like, two years. Right, so. I, I'm excited for it. I think that it, it could certainly have some ripple effects. Regardless of result, I, Tennessee and Georgia is also going to be an incredible matchup. So there's a lot of uh, kind of crazy things that could still happen in the SEC. Do any of them include Auburn? No, but I am going to enjoy every bit of it anyway. So that is going to do it for us here in Believe in Everything Auburn. Thank you so much for following along, everyone, as we break down this season that 
you know, it's a little tough sometimes, but we're doing our best. Um, make sure you watch the game this weekend. Like you said, an 11 a.m. kick. So get up early, have your coffee, mimosa, whatever floats your boat. Everyone enjoy another week of college football. Enjoy watching the Tigers because after that, we will get a bye week and we will be off for the week. And who knows what all that will entail. I'll just say that. Have a good week, everybody. Until we talk again, we're equal. We're equal, everybody. Peace. Peace. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.